the reason I've won is because of the past 10, 15 failures. Mm, good point. Right. And so you have to take that first step, period. You have to just take a step in the right direction. You're going to fall flat on your face and that's okay. I, I don't know anybody in my entire life that is successful that has never failed or have never had a big loss. You have to lose. Right. And that's the only way you're going to get better. So in terms of innovation, it's, it's a, it's a struggle. You don't want to do it. It's uncomfortable, but if you stay stagnant, if nothing changes, nothing changes. So mm -hmm. you have to change something. You have to adapt and, and move and, and test. Welcome to the strategy with Jason podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me another episode of Strategy with Jason. Today, I have an amazing guest. I have the one, the only, the oh-so-famous Colby Joyner with me. Colby, what's up? How you doing, man? Um, man, uh, if I was any any better, I'd be you. Any be <laughs> better, you'd be me. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, thanks so much for taking the time to come jam with me, by the way. I am super excited you know, to get together with you. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're working in very similar areas within the industry. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's cool for us to be able to jump on. We can have conversations about it, you know, kind of the future of innovation, the vision. We're, look, we're going to get into all kinds of cool topics today. But, hey, Kobe, for everybody out there that's watching and listening right now and maybe don't know who you are or, or how you kind of got started, I love kicking off these podcasts with a little origin story. A, because I got to be honest with you, I'm just always fascinated to find out how people you know, fall into the island of misfit toys that I call the automotive industry. So, so Kobe, how did you get into the automotive industry? Uh, you know, it, it, it started, um, I, I originally started selling cars, ironically, at like 18, 19 years old. I was so bad nice. at it that I, uh, I got out as quickly as I could because it was just not a good fit for me at the time. I wasn't, you know, mentally mature enough. So I actually left and and went into, uh, went and joined the Air Force, uh, U.S. Air Force. I was an air traffic controller in the Air Force. Um, got out of that, became a, a medic uh, in the private sector. Uh, ended up getting hurt, uh, became a massage therapist after that because I knew the body. Um, and to the point where I loved what I was doing, but I wasn't making any money at all. Um, of and you know, since, since I was a kid, my parents always kind of joked with, Hey, you know, you should go be a lawyer. Just like most parents would say, like they didn't say doctor. Cause I wasn't, I didn't have the intelligence for that, but they said, go be a lawyer. Cause you know how to talk. And, uh, so, you know, obviously with uh, massage therapy, you don't talk, you're pretty much quiet the entire time. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had, uh, I told my wife, I was like, man, I got to figure out a way to make more money. And I was like, I'm gonna go sell cars. And she's like, well, you're probably going to be good at it because you can talk to anybody. So that's, that's pretty much what happened about eight years, eight years later, here, here I sit at the, uh, epitome of, uh, a podcast for automotive. <laughs> the epitome of podcast. You're too kind. Thanks, Kobe. I appreciate it. Hey, you know what though? But look, nobody comes into the industry, just wake up one day. I'm going to get into the business, right? Like we either stumble our way into it mm -hmm. you know, like yourself or, or we're born into it. That happens, right? We know those yep. that happen. Right? And, and then sometimes we get conned into it. And that was kind of my story. I got conned into it, but <laughs> you know, regardless of how you get into the industry, this is an amazing industry. It's one of those industries that get in your blood. It gets mm -hmm. under your skin. Like, you can't get it out. Like, once you, you know, can't leave. Like, I've been watching The Godfather recently. I don't know why, but it's one of those, you know, just like it just brings you into the family. And then once you're in the family, you're just in it. You never go anywhere. 
you know, or, or Michael's going to, you know, out you or whatever it is. Um, anyways, <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Godfather lately. I don't know why. But hey, man, we got some cool topics. I'd love to kind of get into these, you know. And the first thing, I just, let's just talk about just kind of overall vision, right? Because like I said, you know, we work in some very sim- very similar vertical. And, you know, when it comes to automation, it comes to machine learning, it comes to AI, you know, less than 5% of the dealer body out there is actively using any one of those pieces of technology on a regular basis. And I'd love to just kind of find out, you know, what is your vision, you know, for the industry and the way that we're kind of evolving through our, through technology? I mean, it, you know, I, and it it may not be the most PC thing to say, but, you know, automotive (laughs) traditionally has been relatively behind the curve on technology. Sure. Um, and so you have a lot of people nowadays that uh, that are coming from outside automotive in um, to bring software or solutions to automotive. Um, other companies that have, you know, a good, uh, a good baseline uh, that now want to jump into this space because even their technology that may not be top tier in their industry is incredibly top tier in automotive just because we're behind. Yes. So, if, if we look at automotive compared to other industries, other industries are going in that uh, automation, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, you know, being able to utilize a lot of technology to enhance the customer experience, enhance the customer communication, follow up um, sales, regardless. So for me, I see automotive in the future, like it's not going to be so, uh, so far off the, the correction that happened with Carvana and, and Broom. Yes. Right. Um, I think it's going to be, a you know gradual onset of technology pieces that are going to communicate very well together. Hopefully, we're going to get rid of a lot of this uh, closed API, right? Where 100%. it's a lot more communication across the board. Um, and I still see the the actual dealership of you know you go to the store, you shop with the car, you have a salesperson or something similar, and you you do the whole process as normal. But I think as we move forward, a lot of the the issues or the areas that we take a long time, whether it's in finance or the initial communication or the fact finding, all of this stuff is going to be a lot more automated, but still with humans, right? I don't think AI is going to replace. Yes. Thank you. We're not, we're not going into the uh, robot robot apocalypse. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. And if so, if so, I'm glad that if so, I'm glad it's going to happen after I've retired. So at least I'm good for the next 20 years. Right. (laughs) But, but, but but, I mean, look, there's, there's so much truth to that, right? Like I think people think of any one of those three pieces of technology and they, I don't know, they, I I think they think of like McDonald's and they're like, you know, we're going to get rid of all the people at the counter, you know, because we're going to put these kiosks and these, this technology is going to, it's going to just do the whole thing for them. Well, you know what, maybe for a 99 cent burger, that might be the case. Mm-hmm. Right. But that's, this isn't, this isn't a 99 cent burger. You know, this, this is a 30, 40, 50, 60, $70,000 purchase. It's the one, it's probably the second largest purchase that majority of anybody out there will ever make. Right. And there has to be a human element to it. You know, when we think of automation or machine learning or AI, it is literally just to enhance the human's efforts. Mm-hmm. All right. And I think if anything, like I look at it like this is me putting my dealer principal hat on. Right. And I, I get the vision, man, because I think we're so in line yeah. on this. Right. Is me putting my dealer principal hat on is like, like I, I see, you know, when we are busy, I think about like a Saturday, everyone's running around going crazy and stuff like that. Right. If there's a way I can either automate or I can create I, I can create time back, I can carve more time back through automating some of those processes then I'm 100 percent down for it. Right. You know, because I'm going to give time back to them where they can actually execute and bring a better experience. But I think for a lot of dealerships out there, there's fear in that. 
there's fear and innovation, and which is perfect because that's kind of our next topic, right? Like there's there's this sense of like, let me just kind of keep doing what I'm doing, all right? Because I, that's comfortable. I'm comfortable. Like, innovation is not a comfortable place to be, but I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, think about it this way. We have growing pains when we grow up, right? <laughs> there you your go. your yes. bones, your bones hurt. You know, you're, you're sore, especially when you're going through, you know, the, the puberty stage and you're kind of getting, you're, you're becoming who you're supposed to be uh, physically. It, it hurts. It doesn't feel good. It's, it's painful. Or if you go in and go to the gym, which, you know, I, I need to do a lot more, but <laughs> if you go to the gym, it hurts to work out. It's not, you know, there's some people that are, you know, albeit probably a little crazy that it love going to the gym. I'm not one of those guys, but you know, it, your muscles hurt, you know, it, you feel the burn. It's, yeah. it's, it's a change that happens. You can't have the change without the struggle at all. You can't you have, have the change have, without the struggle. Yeah. I like that. I think that might be the topic of this podcast, by the way, doesn't that sound good? You can't have the change it. without the struggle. Um, but, but you're right though. But I think a lot of times when people think of innovation, I think the run reasons it's scary is because they don't know where to start. So let's kind of start with that. You have where, to, you have to just start. You, you have just have to, to hit just, the button you, and go. You have to look because <laughs> look, I I have failed way more than I've ever won. Oh yes. But the reason I've won is because of the past 10, 15 failures. Mm, good point. Right. And so you have to take that first step, period. You have to just take a step in the right direction. You're gonna fall flat on your face, and that's okay. I, I don't know anybody in my entire life that is successful that has never failed or have never had a big loss. You have to lose. Right. And that's the only way you're going to get better. So in terms of innovation, it's, it's a, it's a struggle. You don't want to do it. It's uncomfortable, but if you stay stagnant, if nothing changes, nothing changes. So mm -hmm. you have to change something. You have to adapt and, and move and, and test, you know, AB test stuff. Like it, it, even internally in a dealership, if you have a sales process, right. If you have a, uh, uh, you know, your internet follow-up process, whatever, change it. Yes. Like if you've had it for 10 years, change it. What's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to start losing a couple sales. Okay, great. Guess what? You can change it back. Well, you know what? You though, need to. I think of, see, when I think about it, it's, I have seen this happen. I'm curious if you've seen this happen. I've seen dealers innovate just for the sake of innovating. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to go buy mm -hmm. into this widget or this platform mm -hmm. or this software or whatever it is, right? Because everybody else is doing it. You know, let's say like DR could be a perfect example of that. You know, digital retelling. You know, mm -hmm. there were a lot of people, I think there, there, there were early adopters that people saw it because that innovation, um, I think, probably matched what their uh, company's goal and culture was. Right. So it made sense for them to move that towards that direction of innovation. And then there was a lot that just kind of jumped on it for the sake of doing that. I actually get scared around that. I actually don't want dealers to innovate for the sake of innovating. Because it never sticks. It doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't get into the process, right? You know, I, I think dealers need to spend more time, you know, kind of figuring out, you know, what is, you know, what is their brand about? You know, is innovation even a part of their brand? Because, like, there are companies out there that have never innovated, and that has actually become a part of their brand. Like, we're actually old school, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, we're not going to do it this way. We're not going to send this out. We're going to write you a letter. I don't, don't know why that'd be. Yeah. Not, but, but, but you know what, you, you know what I mean though? So it's like, I think, Absolutely. I think it's not necessarily is what we do. Like everybody knows what we do. We, we sell and service metal, right? Everybody knows how we do it. That's pretty general, but why we do it the way we do it, I think gives direction, you know, to the way we innovate our dealerships. But I think it's first defining those goals. You know, have you not seen the exact same thing? 
Oh, a hundred percent. And, and I think with, with any kind of innovation, like you have to be relatively calculated with what you're doing, yes. but there's something that I've been saying a lot. Um, and I don't not it, I wasn't the one that made up the, the phrase at all, but if the technology or the innovation doesn't match the culture in the store, it's not going to work. Mm. Right. And so you can be innovative, but if it doesn't match what you know and, and your core, then it's not going to work because nobody's going to buy into it. You're not going to want to adopt that in the process. And really, if you change your, if you change the process, if you change the, the innovate, if the innovation is going to change your culture, who knows if it's going to be for the, for, for better or for worse. So really dealers in general need, need to focus on getting innovative items or structure or processes or software or any piece that matches them because you got to hold culture is such a hard thing to build and it takes a very long time to build and you can demolish that in an instant with the, with the software piece, you can demolish that in an instant with the process. You know so what? You have I, to I'm 100% with you on that. And I'm just kind of like thinking to myself, like, as we're, and I love the fact that we're heading down this direction, right? Um, I love finding rabbit holes and then I'll go yeah. for them. Right? Oh, I call it, I call it riding the dopamine. <laughs> yeah, right. We're just going to keep going. Yeah. That. Okay. yeah. You know, yeah. but so there's one side of me, like, I was thinking, like, the first dealership I worked with, right? And this was, this is the one side of me thinking that, yeah, it's okay to just, you know, not necessarily have to innovate, but just kind of embrace, embrace that culture. Um, and so one side of me is like, yes, because the first dealership I worked with had a culture around making money. That was it. That was it. Mm -hmm. The whole culture was around making money, right? And not necessarily, I would say, you know, by social standards, a great culture, but it was a very, very clearly defined culture. And everybody was there for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to make money, right? And then there's, so, so do they need to innovate? You know, in, in a sense, they probably don't because their culture doesn't necessarily define that they need to innovate. But then there's the other side of me. So that's one side of my brain. And then the other side of my brain says, no, dumb, dumb. Your customer demands that you innovate. So at what point in time, and I was curious to think, do you think we're at that breaking point now? Do you think we're at that breaking point where it's like, we can still operate with kind of an, an older, let's say, non-innovative culture, which can still work because I've seen it on P&Ls. It still works, right? Mm -hmm. Or have we hit that that point where it's like, no, you're going to have to let that go and you're going to have to kind of embrace embrace the suck, all right, because you're going to need to innovate because your customer demands that you innovate. Do, do, do you think we've hit that I associate yet? it. I associate it with um, the difference between Apple and Android. All right, all right. I see where you're going okay. with this. So with Android, you buy a brand new Samsung 20, you know, S22 Ultra Plus Pro, mm -hmm. right? And you get the most updated new features, technology, all this other stuff, but doesn't always exactly work perfectly. Good not yet, right? It's, it's there, but it's not there yet. So you get sales off of it. You get revenue off of it. You get brand loyalty off of it because people like that, that, um, that innovative side of, Google or Android, but then you have Apple, which I'm an Apple guy. Uh, I mean, MacBook, iPhones, iPads, iWatch, everything, right? And it's because I know that the the products that are in Apple, they work. It may take them three years from the point that Samsung or or Google introduced it, but I know that when Apple does it, it it works pretty flawlessly, right? And so I think it's it's 
not so divided. It's not so you either need to go all in or you kind of need to stay. I think you need to take incremental steps to adjust. And with the the public, I don't think that the public is sitting there demanding that we change because if we change too quickly, then they're having to kind of figure out like, okay, how do I do this? Because I would say that if you're over the age of 25 or 30, you pretty much know how to buy a car. Like, sure. you know, I'm going to go to cars.com or car gurus or true car. I'm going to go somewhere to go look. I'm going to go to the dealer website. I'm going to inquire about something. I'm going to go in there. And it, it's all relatively not basic knowledge that they know how to buy a car. But if we flip the script on that process, if we say, now you got to buy it all online yes. or now you got to do this. Now you got to do this. They may have been wanting something cool and, and technology forward and innovative, but now they don't know how to do it. And then, at that point, how do they trust it? So they may not like, you know, you know, CSI surveys and or CSI and and all that stuff may uh, may not be the best across the industry. But at the same time, we have there are very very good dealers out there that are uh, you know handle their customers appropriately. Sorry, sorry, Jared Kilway calling me, <laughs> dummy. Um, <laughs> uh, so let me rephrase. So you have. You have innovative um, technology that's being placed into stores where the customer doesn't know how to adjust and handle that. So yes. then they don't necessarily trust it per se. And it's so new that it breaks. 100%. And so that breaking point makes them trust it less. Which, which is the same reason why I think, you know, dealers are kind of struggling to adopt, you know, machine learning, AI, or even automation. You know, uh, because there's, look, it doesn't go right every single time, you know, it's going to break sometimes, you know, and there's this kind of, there's, there's this fear that goes along with that. But I think, you know, what I'm kind of hearing, you know, what you're saying is that, look, everything kind of comes like we innovate for the sake of uh, bettering our process and our people. You know, that's that like, I think when it comes down to it at the end of the day, that's, that's why we're going to innovate. You know, I'm, I'm just going to think like, do we innovate for the culture? No, not necessarily. Do we innovate for the person, for the customer? There's an element. Yes, there's a splash of that in there. But really, really, I think as an owner, we innovate uh, because we want to better our process. All right. And, and, and we innovate for our, our people. We want to you know, not, not necessarily, you know, make their job easier, even though that is definitely an element of it. All right. But we just make them better. You know, like I, I think I, we innovate. I think we innovate to a, attract multi generational talent. Well, that's right? a good point too, right? And you mentioned we you started to go kind of down a little bit of this path, right? When we're talking about kind of like you know process, right, and lead management. You know, so that's what I was kind of hearing. So I, mean, mm -hmm. I think it's a good segue actually into our next topic, right? When it comes to to lead management, because if there's one place, one place that I think it doesn't matter what type of dealership you are, where you're located in the world, all right, if there's literally one process that you could possibly innovate and really spend time innovating, it is the way that we manage leads. And the, probably the problem, probably the first problem is that we actually call them leads. Leads. You know, Set like the, opportunities. Exactly, right? You know, yeah. like I was an early, early, early dealer.com dealer user, and I remember. There was never a report that was called a lead report. It was a inquiry or it might have been a form fill. It was like, here's how many forms got filled on your site and here's how many people inquired, right? But it was never called a, a lead. It was just like, hey, someone's got a question. You need to go and answer it, right? right? But let's talk a little bit about lead management. The future, let's talk about where you think it sits right now and what do you think the future of lead management is? I think there's so many different uh channels 
that a customer is willing to communicate on nowadays. Yes. And I think that's the difference with all of this technology coming out is you could talk to 80, 90% of the stores and say, what's your process? You know, phone call, text, email, video, right? And it goes out there as a normal, this is how we send it. There's automated emails, there's automated text messages, there's automated videos that go out, but we're not looking at all the different channels that a customer is willing to communicate on. I mean, even, you know, the, the, the previous auto group that I was with, we, we utilized drive centric and drive centric has the, the rooms that you can set up a zoom or a room within drive centric to have that walk around video, to have that, that different style of communication without the customer having to come into the store. I think lead management in general is going to be far more omni-channel and adaptive to any type of communication. So the customer may inquire or may want to communicate through WhatsApp or Facebook messenger or Snapchat or Instagram or normal text message or FaceTime or zoom or any different way of communication. They're going to want to do that. And so I think lead management in the future goes towards more of a, a lot more broad approach where it's, it's going to be at first, it will be more difficult for the salesperson because now they're, four items that they have to do when a lead comes in is going to turn into 10, right? They're going to have to go and check, is this person on WhatsApp? Is it on this? Is it on this? Because like I said, kind of in the beginning, unfortunately, automotive is is a little behind in technology. So we're not going to have all those integrations to be able to just populate all this data. No. And so it's going to be more taxing for the sales rep or BDC agent or internet manager to go in there and try to figure out what channel the customer is wanting to communicate on which goes into the whole marketing. You're like, where are you going to market now to try to attract customers that are going to be wanting to communicate in a different way? So lead management in the future is going to go far more into more of a broad omni-channel engagement. And Mm. that's really why I believe that automation, AI, machine learning, and and not to, you know, prop myself up or you up or anybody else that's in the the space up. um, You can prop us all up. Let's do it. But, but I'm saying not, not that I'm saying that on purpose and not just because it's the, it's what I do now, but that's going to be so crucial for dealerships to ensure that the customer's happy because they get the engagement, they get the follow-up, they get the questions answered at the appropriate time. It's going to be so crucial for companies like ours to Mm -hmm. jump in there and help that dealership maintain engagement. One of the things that I know we struggle with right now, dealerships in general, I mean, I'm just, I just left a dealership prior to this, this, uh, this move or two months ago, right? Yes. One of the things that you, that we struggle with is the humans or us humans yes. having the mindset of pre-qualification, right? Whether it's the source, whether it's the name of the customer, whether it's the type of vehicle that they're on, whether it's the, 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 the soft pull credit score that comes in on the lead, whatever it is, we pre-qualify. And so that's a good thing about uh, automation or AI or machine learning it, or any of this it doesn't stuff. Do it, right? like, I mean, it doesn't do it. You, you can task it to do you something. Mean it doesn't cherry do pick? It. What? Technology, it doesn't cherry pick. Technology doesn't so, cherry pick, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So at that point, it's, it's every lead deserves equal opportunity. Yes, there we go. That's the whole point right there. Right. And like, and if you're a dealership that cares about that, then that's what you need to get involved in. If you don't, then don't even bother. Um, If if you're a dealership that doesn't care about every lead getting managed appropriately. It's meaningful conversation. So kind of going back to what you were talking about, because I love the fact that we're going down this rabbit hole. Right. Because like, I I actually, I hate the word lead. I absolutely hate Mm -hmm. it. You know, Um, you know, it's, it's funny when I was thinking I was a dealer principal, this was 2013, 2014, 2015. Right. Like, 
I even then I didn't care about how many leads and maybe that was just because I'm, I'm weird and I don't think that way. I just, I wanted to know how many conversations I wanted to know, not how many leads. And so I feel like, I feel like it is an industry, which I love. And I'm so excited as an industry, we're moving up beyond this, right? We're moving past this, this decade of, or the era of leads, right? Because I feel like mm -hmm. the last 10 years, that's all of our conversations have been around how to get leads, how to get more leads. Here's the widget. Here's another widget. Here's a marketing strategy. Here's this, right? And the whole goal was just to generate leads. All right. Mm -hmm. But we've, but that was great, but we exponentially generated so many leads. We totally forgot that there actually had to be a substantial amount of process and technology that goes around the actual engagement of these. And so now I think the, the true measurement anymore is now meaningful conversations, not leads. Mm -hmm. I, when I ask a dealership and I know that they're a great operator, they can actually tell me, well, it's not, hey, AJ, how many leads you have? It's, it's, how many meaningful conversations mm -hmm. did you have last month? Well, I tell you, we had right around 217 meaningful conversations. <laughs> wow. All right. Out of those meaningful conversations, what were the results on that? Well, let me tell you, we generated these many appointments, we generated these many sales, we generated yeah, this you, much you blow the benchmarks, you blow the traditional yes. benchmarks out of the water. 100%. 100%. That's you, what we need to do. You blow them out. Well, look, we, we've talked about this kind of before, right? Like standardization. We've had this conversation, I think, many, many times where everyone's had this many conversations. Like, what are we measuring? And are we measuring that something's important, right? I think in the past, right, we've been measuring what the agencies want us to measure. You know, let's, let's measure CPC, CTRs, CPMs, every three-letter bloody acronym we can come up with. Let's measure that hey, because that sounds great. <laughs> you sold this many vehicles because it was on page four of the SRP, and but the customer reviewed page one, but we're going to attribute to that. Yes, 100%. I think what we're now is we're getting into this amazing time in lead management where we stop measuring leads and we just start measuring, you know, uh, what the meaningful conversations are, which is great from a dealership's process perspective, right? But I think with dealerships out there, when they look at this, it's like, look, that means you really need to process the crap out of your engagement strategy. The one thing digital retelling, the one thing I love about digital retelling, right, um, is that it brought, or I think what it did is it, it put the final nail in the coffin to the sales process. All right. It brought a, a, enough awareness to the industry that, you know, customers don't want a sales process. They want a buying process. You know, like I love Best Buy, right? I got three mm -hmm. ways. I can buy anything I want from Best Buy in three different ways, right? I can, I can, I can reserve it, go into the deal. I can go into the dealership, into, into Best Buy, yeah. touch it, right. smell it, sniff it, then pay for it, right? I can completely buy it online and get it shipped to my house, right? Or I can buy it and just pick it up at it pick it up at a location because I need it right away. But that's a buying process, not a sales process. Now I think what we've done as far as innovating that portion, now we need to go and innovate our in in communication and engagement process. And I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on that. The So there's a, a I'm sure you know this guy, Carlo Castillo. Oh yeah, Carlo. Okay, so Carlo Castillo, uh, he was a, a relatively saving grace because like I said, I, I used DriveCentric prior and I was getting tired of the just traditional workflow and process and follow up, yes. especially when it's like, Hey, yeah, we're going to be very, uh, very uh, hard on for you got to answer the lead quickly. You got to say these certain things in the very beginning, you got to do all these tasks, but then everything, ta everything is task-based. I think yeah. we need to, yes. we need to just take that whole task-based mentality and junk it other than the initial follow-up. Because nobody right. has a conversation like that. No one goes into a conversation. Here's a six task I need to check off. <laughs> nope. And and that the interesting things like like what Carlo does over there at the at uh, the Lexus store in Florida is everything's based off of engagement, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. he focuses mm -hmm. on a certain day range, 
And he's going to engage with that lead or attempt engagement with that lead as often as he can, just like it's a day one lead every day for, let's say, the first two weeks. Then it goes off into, you know, a normal kind of, hey, I'm going to go touch it and see what's going on with it and kind of check in with them. If that lead happens to, or let me rephrase, if the opportunity <laughs> happens, to re, happens to uh, re-engage at, let's say, day 48, a traditional workflow, you are you have a task maybe on day 45 and day 60. Mm-hmm. And they're not necessarily the same thing. And one may be a phone call, one may be an email that's automated. So the leading or the opportunity engages at day 48. Well, there's nothing set for the, to remind the salesperson or BDC agent or anybody to re-engage with that person the following day. If you did not get an appointment or any kind of solidified uh, movement down the funnel. But the way that Carlo uh, works is at that point, once the lead or the opportunity engages, then it's going to jump back into his normal 14 day. Hey, I'm going to go and jump in and hit that, that opportunity. Just like it's a day one. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you, uh, I kind of joke, my dad always would tell me like, do you want to T-chart it? Right. Because we would argue about something, you know, like who did best at this or who did best at this. And he's like, let's T-chart it. And, you know, tally on either side and who won. And so if you T-chart it and you compare a traditional workflow with uh, an engagement workflow, that's not task-based, I guarantee you that you're going to have better results with your opportunities. Oh, well, because it's a solid process, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think too often, I think too often we look at technology to define the process. When I think what you just kind of described there was an amazing example of the dealership defining the process and then working backwards towards the technology to actually help execute on that process. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's what, what we're talking about. I mean, I think a lot of people look at, they look at AI, they look at automation, they look at machine learning and they see like it replacing process, but actually, no, they are just forms a way of executing a clearly more defined process that you need to define. Like it's just engagement. Absolutely. 100% is going to be the key for any dealership success out there. And there are amazing operators out there that know that. And Carlos is a perfect example of that, right? And there are many Mm -hmm. others that are like that. And they should look at those dealers and say, look, look what they focused on. Look what became a a core part of their brand. They're like, look, it's not going to be acceptable that we're going to engage this way. We're going to engage this way. You know, one of my first jobs uh, was working for Radio Shack. And, you know, I'm dating myself, right? Um, It's like, but, but back then it meant something to work at a Radio Shack. You know, it's like you had questions, we had answers. It was a company wide commitment for every single employee to be able to have this answer. You know, no difference to it's like now it becomes a company-wide commitment to engage it this way, right? Anything less than that is going to be completely unacceptable. You know, it's like define that process work back towards the technology, which is really, I think, the, the future of automotive. And I think almost everything we've talked about up to this point is really kind of leading into our last topic today, which is the future of automotive. You know, and then we've kind of touched on it a little bit through our entire conversation but if you, I'm just kind of interested in getting your kind of just general thoughts. Where do you think, let's say, the future of you think the future of automotive is going? And you can touch on any particular uh, part of it. I don't particularly care. Just it could process people, technology. Where do you think the future is going to be? Well, uh, I'll go down that road in a second. But one of the things that you were talking about. So I don't think automation is is specific to human nature. All right. right? All right. Human nature is not, uh, or automation is not a, a particular part of a human, 
right? Humans are uh, emotional, conversational, um, and, you know, they, they get feelings and they have all this other stuff and automation is all designed around processes. So you can automate processes, but you have to be able to allow freedom of conversation. And 100%. so I think the future of automotive, a lot of the sales process, a lot of the buying process is going to be automated, but where it actually, I think makes automotive a lot better moving forward is that now the people that are involved in the entire uh, transaction and, and purchase are only going to be focused on the, uh, the relationship yes. versus, oh my gosh, I need to check off this specific thing in the process. So I think there's going to be a lot more automation of processes and a lot more examples of communication and relationship building moving forward, because that's how, that's how the, the, the mom and pop dealerships, the, the one-off single point stores, the auto groups, that's how they're going to retain their dealer franchise. If it happens to go to more of a, uh, you know, one-stop shop with an OEM, they're going to build the local relationships with those people. And that's why people are going to go into the stores. They can go online, they can pick the car, do all this other stuff, but then they're going to go in there and say, Hey, Johnny, how you doing? It's been three years since I've seen you and I'm how the kids, how's there's a relationship that's being built there. So, and I think we've been, we've been bringing too many, too many people into the industry that have that really good relationship building um, ability and trying to change them into being a rule and process follower. A hundred percent. So that's, that's where I think we go. I think we go to, a, a, and, and I don't say automation in terms of replacing jobs no. or replacing people. It's making them more proficient, efficient, effective, uh, higher conversions. You know, everything is going to go up. The metrics and the benchmarks are all going to be blown out of the water. We're going to have to retouch everything and say, hey, what is the new standards? Because we're in five years, when you look back at the standards of today, you're going to hopefully be shocked that they were that low. I, I'm, I'm so with you. I mean, I think the thing for me I'm, uh, is a lot of it's just new strategies. You know, we've had so many strategies, you know, for many, many years around acquisition, right? Mm-hmm. We've had many strategies about retention, you know, and now we're going to have strategies around automation, strategies mm-hmm. around machine learning. All right. You know, what can I learn from the data that I'm able to collect, you know, from my DMS or my CRM or from my customers? I mean, we, we've said this many, many times. I feel like we're getting into the, you know, we, we said that, you know, dealerships are sitting on a gold mine of data, but we don't necessarily, they understand exactly what that is. And I think, because, but, but, but I think though we're entering into the new decade of, let's call it data conscious dealers, mm-hmm. right? Where they're like, oh no. No, no, I can do that. And if, and if I understand that, that means I can create this. And, it, and that means if any time this happens, I can make this happen. I'm like, that's, that's awesome, right? And I think you know, definitely from an AI perspective, you know, it's huge. There's huge AI opportunities out there from language, identifying you know, language patterns and, and how well we're executing on the words that we want to be executing. There's just so much opportunities. But there's now new strategies. It's not just acquisition retention strategies. Now you have engagement mm-hmm. strategies. You have... AI strategies, you have automation strategies. Look, I, I, I'm excited. I'm excited because, you know, I've been talking about strategy for many years and I feel like as an industry, we're, this is becoming the time and the era that we're becoming insanely more strategic with every single opportunity. Not lead, 
I said opportunity. Um, <laughs> I know. So, so you, you've had more practice on that. I, I came from a dealership to where it was just lead. Where's your lead report? Where's your lead report? Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll get better. I promise. It's all right, Colby. Hey, look, I know we're towards the tail end of our time today, and we could probably easily jam a whole other half an hour, hour easy on this on these topics. But for um everybody out there watching and listening right now, who would maybe like to connect with you, learn a little bit more about what you do, or even follow along with your journey, what, what's the best way to do so? Uh, honestly, any social platform, uh, I, uh, my Facebook Colby Joyner on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, uh, I have a Twitter don't really use it very much, but, uh, really the best way to, uh, engage with me and communicate with me is either LinkedIn or Facebook. That's awesome. Hey, Colby, thank you, man, for taking the time to jam with me today. This has been a lot of fun. You have yourself an amazing day. Yeah, you too, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to the Strategy with Jason podcast with your host, Jason Harris. Don't want to miss new content? Be sure to check out the full podcast library at strategywithjason.com to stay in the know. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe. Happy podcasting.